Welcome, happy warriors. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Appen Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Thanks for being part of the show, and thank you for sharing the show with other people. Um, I call a happy warrior anybody who listens to this show voluntarily uh, for more than three episodes. Right? If you've heard more than three episodes of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show, and you did that voluntarily, nobody locked you up in a basement and left it playing, nobody tied you up and chained you to the wall, leaving the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show playing through loudspeakers as a particularly fiendish form of torture. But no, you've listened to the show voluntarily, totally consensually. Three times? Well, then you're a happy warrior. That's all there is to it. And a happy warrior? Well, not only, and you know this already, right? Not only does this mean that you welcome the challenges of life, the challenges of building your finances, building a family, building friendships and maintaining friendships, taking care of your body, right? Confronting your fitness and your health and building your faith, right? A connection with the good Lord, <laughs> it doesn't come about naturally. You don't get born with that. And uh, you may have been given it to your, by your parents. You may have even been turned off it by your parents. That can also happen. Uh, I've seen many times parents make bad mistakes in this area. Sometimes they didn't make mistakes. Uh, it just didn't click. But whatever it is, in the same way that, uh, you, you know, you're not born just loving to exercise. You're not born knowing how to deal with finances, and you're not born knowing how to connect with God. It's just one of those things that uh, is a benefit in life. That's all it is. You know, it's it's a simple thing, um, and it's something you can improve. And I explain all of that. This is a, uh, a shameless um, uh, advertisement. I explain all that in a, a, a free ebook called The Holistic You, recognizing that uh, in the same way that our bodies are not just places where a lot of different organs like uh, lungs and kidneys and uh, and livers and abdomens and uh, and uh, intestines all live like in a sort of big condo unit and they each just have their own little condo unit and then we have a, a homeowners association and i'll talk more about that coming right up but um no that's not the way to understand a body we have to understand that our bodies um, are not what they are because they are a collection of amazing separate entities like, you know, lungs and heart and liver and kidneys. And, it, you know, they are that as well. But that's not the whole point. The point that makes our bodies so remarkable is that they are interacting systems. Every part interacts with every other part. And, uh, you know, it's like having a car with a very good um, engine but a very poor uh, transmission the engine and the transmission just don't play well together. Uh, that's going to be a problem, 
okay, or a car with very good steering but terrible brakes. No, the whole point is when car reviewers speak about the handling of a car, that is an attempt to come up with a judgment on the car that takes into account the suspension and the steering and the handling and the braking and the load distribution and, and a whole lot of things all integrated, all working together. And we understand what I've just said intuitively. I don't have to prove it. It's axiomatic. But um, what is a little harder to, to uh, grope, really, is that our lives, the totality of our lives, everything that is the completion and fullness of your life, uh, you know, the word shalom in Hebrew, everyone knows, means peace. But what people don't know is that the root of the word, the essential core meaning of the word, is shalem. As you know, vowels in Hebrew have a, a lower significance. And um, as you know, well, if you're a happy warrior, you may well know that. And uh, the word shalem means totality and completion. In other words, the sense that Absent a condition of totality and completion, peace is almost impossible to achieve, uh, not only between people, but even within oneself. And so what is it that brings about totality uh, within oneself and a sense of completion, making a peaceful and harmonious life possible? Well, it's five elements, right? Our families, our family connections, our friendship connections, our relationship with our finances, our relationships with God, and our relationships with uh, our body. Right? Those those are the five specific areas, and uh, and it's as well to know how they play with each other, how they all interact. Because if you don't, you may well decide to solve a a nagging discontent financially. Uh, and completely ignore the fact that this actually is connected to something you're doing wrong on the friendship front, right? And so in order to, to get a better handle on that, um, get yourself a free download of my ebook, The Holistic You, and you do that at, yes, you guessed it, rabbidaniellappin.com, right? That's easy to do. Now, um, I said that, uh, so head over there, rabbidaniellappin.com. You want a couple of other reasons for heading over there? Well, there's um, uh, an entire searchable archive of thought tools, uh, of Susan's musings. Oh, and Ask the Rabbi, that's always very popular. People ask us questions. <clears throat> All of that at rabbidaniellappin.com. You can also communicate with me, which many people do. I just got uh, another great letter. You remember I once um, read a letter from a guy who's in a small special forces underwater frogman unit, like the Danish um, equivalent of the SEALs. Uh, well, I hear from him very regularly, and uh, it's very welcome indeed. So uh, he's moving on nicely with his life and um, thinking of getting married soon. So, um, so I've you know, I've communicated with him as I do with, with many people whose style grabs me. Anyway, all of that at rabbidaniellappin.com. But chiefly, you can uh, look for the Holistic You downloadable ebook. It's free. You can get it right now. So um, uh, I, said, <laughs> I said, don't think of your body in the same way, right? You mustn't think of your life as disconnected zones, right? This year I'm working on finances. No, it doesn't work that way. You've got to work this year on finances and family 
and friendships and faith and fitness is it easy no but that's why you're a happy warrior you revel in that and you're also somebody who doesn't spread misery gloom and pessimism wherever you go Um, you make yourself a happy person how do you do that Um, you express appreciation for what you have the things in your life that are going well so uh, uh, i said don't think of of your body as separate disconnected pieces like heart liver lungs all living in like in this condo building called your body and they're all like nothing to do with one another on the contrary our health is also holistic in every way so um, uh, when i say that faith is connected to fitness you better believe it it really is and um, i said that one of the things that i would tell you about like condos uh, i mentioned homeowner association right well i was struck by uh, an article in the wall street journal that appeared um, oh about two yeah two weeks ago actually and it's called the the title of the article was joining a homeowners association there will be hell to pay all of the downright dreadful things you need to know if you're buying a property governed by a homeowners association and uh, it starts off, he says, there's a reason why many people who buy a condo vow never to do it again. That reason is the Homeowners Association. <laughs> uh, later on in the article, he's, and this is the highlight part that I am focusing on, like any humans given power over others, Homeowner Association boards inevitably get drunk on the stuff. So Homeowner Association rules and fees proliferate like perfectly fertilized weeds. And he goes along, you know, discussing some of the the really um, terrible things that happen when, you know, you think you've bought a home, you think you finally are in your own place, and then you discover that everything is under control. Um, the uh, It means that you are under what he calls the mercurial invasive rules, up to and including home paint color, hedge height, the number of cars you may have in your driveway, when you have to put out and take in your garbage cans, etc., etc., etc. The point being, my friends, and, and this is what I wanted to talk about for a few minutes with you, at least to introduce the topic. Not going to finish it today, but we'll introduce the topic, and I hope give you some useful tools, as always, to deploy in your life. We're going to look at power. And uh, it's homeowners associations that uh, that made me think about it. Um, like any humans given power over others, hu- homeowner association boards inevitably get drunk on the stuff. Power is intoxicating, my friends. And I tell you this not only in order for you to better understand the stewardess on the last flight you were on who snarled at you to move your mask higher up over your nose. This is the same stewardess who two years ago sweetly smiled at you and asked you if she can bring you a coffee. So um, she's been given power, and power is intoxicating. (laughs) It just is. So we need to get a bit of a better understanding. But, um, But first of all, Uh, Let me remind you that you are happy warriors, right? 
you have consensually and voluntarily listened to more than three of the Rabbi Daniel Appen shows, welcome. You are a happy warrior. And if you're a happy warrior, I give you two challenges, right? Because being a happy warrior is not easy. It's fulfilling. It makes you happy. Uh, it, it fills you with a, a deep sense of purpose. Being a happy warrior is good. It's just not easy. But then nothing is, right? Taking care of your body is not easy either. It means eating only the right things and not terrible things. It means not sitting on the couch watching television. But ex- nothing is easy that is worthwhile. <clears throat> and that's because we have built into us something that I have taught from the first chapter of Genesis. <clears throat> we have... Um, something which is very real, and that is a force of resistance trying to stop us from doing all the valuable things that could improve our lives. Literally, a satanic force, and I don't mean that in, ooh, you know, I don't mean that in the sense of uh, occultish thing. No, no, not at all. It's just a, a negative side that God built into us um, to give us the challenge of being happy warriors. And so, Two new challenges for you as a happy warrior. Number one, and these things all require action. It's not enough to say, yeah, I agree with him. I I believe that. He's right. No, it's got to be followed up with an action. And without that, there's nothing. Um, So my two challenges for you today, less screen entertainment, right? Spend less time on screen entertainment and more reading books or listening to audio books. That also works just fine. Uh, one of the reasons for this, there are many reasons, but one of the reasons is that um, using uh, having entertainment come at you through your eyes. Uh, all I mean, I, I'm just going to tell you this straight: it uh, eviscerates your imagination. It really cuts your imagination down. Well, what's wrong with that? Right? Fine. You know, who needs an imagination? Well, you do, because your achievements in life depend on imagination. I don't mean you must live an imaginative, fairy tale, uh, fantasy-driven, unrealistic illusion. No. No, I'm saying that to think, to come up with a way to improve your life, to say, hey, you know what I could do? And this may mean uh, nothing more than buying a, a new bookcase or shelf organizer to reduce some of the mess and clutter in your life to all kinds of things. But all of that depends on imagination. You do need imagination. And just remember Lappin's rule number 311. You have to be able to conceive of something You have to believe in it, and then you have to achieve it. And if you don't achieve something, it's probably because you don't believe it can be done, and that's because you couldn't conceive of it. So imagination lets us step onto the escalator, conceive it, believe it, achieve it. And uh, if you um, spend time on screen entertainment, in other words, using your eyes, for things that entertain you as opposed to using them for reading books well you might be entertained by a book that's true but the very process of engaging yourself cognitively to transfer a visual image into an abstract idea that is fantastically fruitful for building the imagination And you're not doing yourself the harm that you do when you're watching screen time. So my challenge to you for this week is less screen entertainment time, more time committed to reading a book or listening to an audio book.
Now, I should really just leave you with that, right? <laughs> I mean, heaven knows uh, that's a big enough challenge. But um, <clears throat> I'm going to give you one more because maybe you've already achieved that one. Maybe you do not have a 54-inch curved screen in your living room facing your big comfortable couch. Maybe you don't have such a thing. Uh, maybe you do not fall asleep at night watching an iPad or a tablet. Maybe you don't do any of those things. Well, in that case, you need another challenge. Here it is. You need to be able to say to yourself a few times this week, just say it to yourself when no one's around, just so you hear your own mouth, your own lips, and your own tongue articulate these words. My parents were normal human beings who probably wanted to do their best and tried to do their best. And whatever problems I have are because I screwed up. Do you think you can say that? My parents were normal human beings. They wanted to do their best. They tried to do their best. Whatever problems I have in my life are because I made mistakes. Simple. Now, I mention that because so many of us today, around the world, wherever I talk to people, so many people as we delve into conversation and, and I say, uh, so, you know, why does this happen or why have this? And they'll say, well, let me tell you what my parents were. Don't! I do not want to hear what your parents were like. It's irrelevant. Irrelevant completely and, and utterly irrelevant. No, I do not want to hear about that at all. Please. No, don't 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 do that. And um and and so you just see if you can make yourself affirm to yourself. See if you can make yourself affirm to yourself. Yes, my parents were just ordinary people. They were good, decent people, and um, they wanted to do the right thing. They probably tried to do the right thing. And regardless, whatever problems that I have, whatever problems I have, are because I screwed up. It's as simple as that. It really is, and and it's important as that. Do you remember? Um, do you remember Gumball Rally? It was a com <laughs> a completely forgettable film <clears throat> about a race across the country. Um, I liked it for two reasons. I liked it because of the cars. Uh, I liked seeing some of those cars, and. The main reason I remember the film, I said it's a forgettable film, right? Obviously, for me, it wasn't, partially because it was a, it was a real celebration of uh, fine uh, automobile engineering. And, um, but secondly, and more importantly, there was an unforgettable line. <clears throat> and um, the uh, character was Franco. He was uh, an Italian racing driver, and he was one of the drivers racing a, a fine car across the country. And if I remember correctly, one of the other characters said to him, um, so what's the secret 
of Italian driving. Come on, you guys, you Italian drivers, you know, uh, Italy has the Ferrari and the Lamborghini. Come on, what's the secret of Italian driving? And they're standing next to the convertible. So the other guy, if I remember correctly, the other guy asking the question, he's sitting in his convertible, and Franco, the Italian driver, is standing next to him. And, uh, and the guy says, come on, tell me the secret. What's the rule of Italian driving? And Franco... <laughs> Franco reaches into the convertible, grabs the rear-view mirror, rips it off, tosses it away, and says, You want the secret of Italian driving? What's behind me is not important. I, I kept that, that, uh, that little scenario in my mind because that's what I feel like telling people who when we discuss, right, I've got coaching clients, right? There's people uh, who work with me on fixing certain things in their lives. And uh, very early on, in an early session, invariably it comes up, well, when I was a kid, no, what's behind me doesn't matter. Exactly right. So um, those are my two challenges for you, okay? Less screen time, more reading time or listening to audiobooks so as that you can step onto the escalator and conceive, believe, and achieve. Uh, number two, just affirm to yourself. My parents were just ordinary human beings who probably wanted to do their best. And the problems in my life are because me, myself, I screwed up. That's it. And affirming that helps you take charge, and it's also empowering, right? It helps you realize on a deep level that, yes, in the same way that you screwed up, in the same way that you made mistakes, you also have the ability to fix them up. And to start with recognizing the totality of your life, the holistic you, that's a really important part of it. And acknowledging and realizing that today's financial problems are strictly the result of yesterday's mistakes. That's also a very crucial thing to get. So those are my challenges uh, to you for this week. And um, please, please take them seriously. You have to take your life seriously. And uh, these are, are very real ways to do them. So let's talk about power. Look, um, it's, it's really helpful to um, understand human weaknesses because, firstly, it makes it easier for us to understand other people, and secondly, more importantly, it helps us to understand ourselves. Um, like me, you want to assume that you are a rational, logical person. Right? We're all like that. We want to think that our behavior is the result of carefully thought-out strategies. And um, the truth is that that's simply not the case. We actually have emotional parts of ourselves and other parts of ourselves that exert influence on our decision-making, on, on our opinions, in a very real and significant way. Make no mistake about it. And so um, one of the things we know is that 
This is from a very interesting examination of people in waiting rooms where, you know, they have magazines with lots of different advertisements. Talk about cars for the moment. Uh, people who've just bought a car, they are paging through the magazine and we're watching to see which car ads do they spend most time on. Logically, it should be the cars they didn't buy because the car they bought, if they just recently bought a car, they now know. But it's interesting to find out about other cars. No, wrong. Most of us will spend more time reading ads for things we've already purchased. You know why? Because we want to affirm to ourselves how clever we were to buy that car. And why don't we read ads of other cars? After all, we may find out things we don't know. And the answer is very simple. We do not want to find out that we might have made a mistake. We could have done a better deal with another car. We don't want to know that. And this is an example of how we act irrationally. Uh, there, there are many parts of uh, things like that. There are aspects of ourselves we don't know. For instance, did you know that you have an inbuilt tendency to find fault in others that is a fault that is related to a fault you yourself are susceptible to? Isn't that interesting? Next time you find yourself, you know, really sort of not liking something that somebody else is doing, ask yourself, look carefully into yourself and see if you don't have exactly the same thing or something very similar, right? That's knowing something about ourselves. And then when you, when you know that, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. But most people are not introspective. Most people do not think much about these things. One of the reasons that uh, we, we don't like silence, you know, you turn on a radio, you start looking at your phone, have you noticed that? People sitting down in a restaurant, you're waiting for somebody else to join you, and you pull out a phone. Why not just use the thinking time? Because introspection is not always pleasant. People don't like doing it. And so, um, one of the things that I'm going to introduce the conversation on today, and I have much more to talk about on this than we're going to be able to fit in today, I can assure you, um, a whole lot more, and I, I know you'll, you'll, you'll see that right away. Uh, you probably also have much more on this topic. But the topic, of course, is power. And uh, the psychologists will tell us that, yes, uh, having power releases dopamine, and uh, dopamine is a chemical that is a pleasure chemical, and that we can become addicted addicted to the exercise of power. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe not. I'm not an expert on that, but it doesn't tell me anything particularly useful. <laughs> it just tells me what I feel anyways. Um, we can look at literature, all right? There's so many examples where the application of power really plays a role. I'm um, a big fan of Joseph Conrad. He lived in he, towards the end of the 19th century. Uh, I'm a fan of him because he was a Polish guy, didn't know English, learned English already as a grown-up, and then became uh, this fantastic writer. A wonderful book. You know, and people often ask me to recommend books. I'm, I'm cautious in doing that just because not every book speaks to the heart of every person. Uh, so I, you know, I certainly I tell you books that I'm reading. I'll tell you about books I have read and I think highly of. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you should devote 
20 or 30 hours of your life to reading that book. You might want to, you know, look it up, read some reviews of the book, get a sense of the book, and then make a decision. So uh, I'm thinking particularly of one of Joseph Conrad's, one. and by the way, there are many wonderful uh, novels and stories he wrote, uh, All Meyer's Folly. Uh, is is so powerful it 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 really brings tears to my eyes um then there is the book i'm talking about today is heart of darkness um so uh heart of darkness is a a story about a, the 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 protagonist is uh, making a journey to africa and there's a guy he keeps hearing about and eventually we meet him later in the book a guy called kurtz you may remember that's the same name that the filmmaker used in uh, the apocalypse movie set in Southeast Asia. Um, and for the same reason, it was the same concept. But at any rate, um, Kurtz exercised power, and you realize that the man had literally nothing else to live for. So, so that's one. You know what's even a more interesting one? Listen to this. Um, Leo Tolstoy, a fantastic Russian uh, novelist, um, wrote a book called Anna Karenina, all right, this is a thousand pages, okay? So I'm just telling you, it's a great book. Um, I, I think it's remarkable. Uh, am I telling you to read it? No, of course not. I'm, everybody is different. If I got to know you really well, I would then recommend a book to you. I recommend books to my wife. She recommends books to me. We share books. Uh, I recommend books to my children. And they recommend to me, by the way. So, but, that, but you, you have to know somebody well before you take on the responsibility of him spending or her spending many, many hours of their life on something which may turn out to have been a waste of time. So, uh, in 1878, Leo Tolstoy writes Anna Karenina. Um, here's the 30-second summary of what I would say is probably less than a quarter of the substance of the plot of the book. But uh, Anna is uh, 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 an elitist. She's a socialite in Russia, and um, she's married to uh, Karenin, who is a, uh, you know, a, a good, solid um, career bureaucrat, I think, in the government, and they have a solid marriage. You know, exciting, not particularly exciting guy, but married, there it is. And, and, and Anna acknowledges that, you know, she has a good marriage. Um, through an incredible structure of, of circumstance, and Tolstoy paints this so very well, uh, Anna has an affair. She's, she betrays her marriage with uh, more of an exciting uh, guy called Vronsky. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's a rough business. And like most affairs, it doesn't end well but what happens and how it's there is so much insight into the timeless truths of human nature that Tolstoy reveals in this book. It's just I find it exciting. Anyway, why am I telling you this? Because a lot of people misconstrue this part of the story of Anna Karenina as a story of, of jealousy, sexual jealousy. Um, Karenin is jealous of uh, what Vronsky did to his wife and all of that. And, and there's certainly elements of that, but there's something much more profound going on here. This is about power. What do I mean? Well, what comes out as you work your way through the book is that Anna 
feels, I mean, she blames herself, no question. She, she accepts the blame for destroying everything. Um, but she also puts some blame on her husband, Karenin. Why? And this is so amazing. My friends, um, some of you will understand what I'm saying. Some of you may not. I ask you to judge me um, with... Um, well, well, well um, judge me kindly. Do not automatically assume that what I'm going to say, since it violates your existing beliefs and prejudices, and since it creates great cognitive dissonance in you to hear the things I'm going to be saying over the next two or three minutes, um, don't toss it out. Don't toss me out. Um, just contemplate the possibility this is part of growth is it not that we hear things that we don't intuitively agree with if you only listen to things you agree with why you know what you're doing you are massaging yourself with warm butter and a massage with warm butter absolutely does nothing for you now it may well be that you once went to an expensive resort and for a mere five hundred dollars you went to the spa in the resort wow i'm so excited they had time they got me an appointment i got into the spa and i'm getting a massage with warm butter and you think to yourself that this is going to strengthen you or make you healthier or stronger it won't only exercise, only painful stuff helps. Only painful stuff brings gainful stuff. I've got to stop with the rhymes. And, um, and so massaging with warm butter, no. Massaging with warm butter intellectually and philosophically and emotionally is um, dismissing things you don't agree with instead of grappling with them. So if you want to grapple with them and, and find ways to argue and prove that I'm wrong, I welcome that. Absolutely. Um, what am I talking about here? Okay. Um, Anna blames her husband to some extent. Why? For not exerting power. He should have said to her, Anna, you've been spending time with uh, Vronsky. That's not acceptable. No, I'm sorry, but we're not going to have any um, relationships or friendships with uh, the other gender. I'm sorry, that doesn't happen. I absolutely prohibit you from spending any more time with Vronsky. Not only, not only did Anna want that to come from uh, Karen and her husband, she yearned for it. And you know what? She was right to blame him somewhat. She was right. And... Uh, Again, I'm not going to go into the verses in Deuteronomy that discuss this, but um, there is a spiritual mechanism for dealing with this kind of situation. But it does require the husband to be capable of exerting power over his wife. Now, please hear me clearly. Did you hear me use the word tyranny? Did you hear me use the word cruelty? Did you hear me use the word callousness? No. N-O, no. Power, not necessarily evil. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Anna wanted to hear her husband say to her, Anna, you're my wife. You may no longer see uh, Vronsky. Uh, I don't want you dancing with him if we're at an event, and I certainly don't want you meeting with him alone anywhere. Uh, I know that that's happened. It's happened once or it's happened twice. No more. 
stop it now. And um, that's something that is that Tolstoy brings out so beautifully in the book that that is what Anna wanted to hear. And she is, we, we believe her when she says that this never would have happened. She would have stopped and she never would have got into this uh, whirlpool with Vronsky who seduced her and just uh, really set her off in a, in a whirlpool of, of desire, emotional, physical, in every way. And um, she believes, and she's right, that Karen and her husband, early on, right, there's such a thing as waiting too late, but early on, a, an appropriate exertion of power from uh, uh, Karenin would have stopped this thing in its tracks and she'd still be happily married. She's, that's what she says. And, um, and so there we, we see uh, an, a, a, mar- a, a, a power dynamic, a power thing happening within a male-female relationship, and it's exactly right. Uh, deep down, most feminine women want to be in the power of a powerful man. Right? That's a, a, it's a very normal and very natural feminine desire. But many men, particularly today in today's culture, have been conditioned that exerting power over a woman is sexist and it's wrong. And it's, all right, I'm not even going to waste any time on the rubbish. But um, strength, power, um, you know, I, I have often told this to even to, to young guys uh, who, um, who are going out on a date. They're courting a young woman. I say, please don't say to her, what do you want to do or where do you want to go? Don't do that. Because if she's a feminine woman, she wants you to be a masculine man. Part of masculinity is being a powerful person. Now, as you can see, this is light years away from the power exerted by the Homeowners Association. This is light years away from the uh, power being exerted by the flight attendant who suddenly becomes intoxicated with the power of throwing a family off a flight because the two-year-old is not wearing a mask and making the plane return to the gate and causing this whole thing. It's intoxicating. I get it. I would like to be able to assure you that I'm immune to it. I like to assure myself that if I was a, I'd never do that. And I'd like to believe that. And I hope it's true, but I don't count on it because I do know that God built us with a uh, a sense of finding power tremendously exciting and as you see it has a sexual dimension to it as well and so that there is a deep thrill when a man exercises power whether it's over employees or over socially or using whatever he's got to exert power over other people I totally understand that there is an almost irresistible thrill. I understand it can become addictive, just like so many things can become addictive, and it becomes very difficult to free oneself from these things. I totally get that. But that uh, that power is a part 
of all of our makeup, particularly men. Right? Let me may, let me clarify that. As I said, as I said earlier, um, when a uh, when a woman achieves power, it's very often right generalization, but it's very often um, more unrestrained than with a man. In other words, um, it's apocryphal, but uh, friends in law enforcement have told me that if you get stopped for speeding, if you get stopped for speeding by um, a police officer, there is much a much greater likelihood of the police officer saying, okay, uh, I'm going to let you off with a warning this time, but take it easy, don't drive like that. If you get stopped by a female officer, your chances of that are much lower. And these are, are officers talking about themselves and their colleagues. Right? And I think that that's true because power is a natural aspect of masculinity. Uh, it's not a natural aspect of femininity. Even the way that God created us masculinity is associated with firm strength hardness um you know uh, the firm abs all of that is part of what we think of as masculine strength femininity is associated with softness with yielding okay so we we do understand this and so exertion of power is more natural to a man and therefore it's a little better within his control but when a woman exerts power, it's not natural. She's adopted something not natural to her. And she will be able to exert it without question. She will be less able to modulate it. Um, again, generalizations, right? I myself uh, can give you the names of some truly outstanding female CEOs who have done very, very well uh, building companies. Now, you can't be an effective CEO if you cannot exert power, but exert power in a modulated kind of way. Uh, you are able to know when uh, power verges into tyranny and cruelty. Uh, you are able to know when it's time to back off and be more accommodating and, uh, and if you like, more merciful, right? So, uh, these are some of the realities of power. And I tell them to you so is that, uh, number one, when you see them applied, you're able to, to uh, identify when power is being well applied. You can identify. It, it sometimes helps. If you are on the receiving end of tyrannical power being uh, inflicted upon you, it's sometimes easier to deal with. If deep inside yourself, you can take refuge and say to yourself, yep, I see what's going on there. It doesn't uh, help a whole lot because it's painful to be on the receiving end of tyranny, but uh, at least you know what's going on. But more importantly than that, as a uh, family member, as a spouse, um, as a parent, as a sibling, an older sibling, a younger sibling, um, in your financial life with uh, associates, co-workers, all of these things, it's important for you to understand how you come across. Right? Right? Power is, is not necessarily a bad thing at all. You know, it's, it's part of male competitiveness. Right? Power is always a, uh, a bipolar thing. Right? The, the last man on earth 
might say to himself, oh, am I powerful? But <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. Uh, power is always in the context of other people, and sometimes it is in the context of a challenge. And one of the, the great things about achieving a challenge, you remember I gave you two challenges at the beginning, right? Uh, limiting screen time and acknowledging that things that are not perfect in your life are not your parents' fault but yours. Uh, achieving those things also builds your power, doesn't it? It gives you a sense of power. It, and you're right, you have become a more powerful person by achieving those things. And so uh, power in and of oneself, becoming a more powerful person in and of oneself, that is something that men and women are able to do equally. But power exerted on other people, right? And, and, and it's not necessarily a, a bad thing, right? I mean, a CEO, people often say, oh, ever since he became a manager, he's, uh, he's become power crazy. That may be or maybe not, but it's also possible that he is now the person responsible for making sure that deadlines are met, right? It's not fun. When somebody comes up to you and says, we agreed you'd have this project finished by uh, this evening, end of work today, and I'm just checking in to make sure you're on target, and you have to say, not going to happen, right? It doesn't make you enamored of your manager at that point, but at least you can understand that that is a legitimate exertion of authority and of power. That's not a bad thing. So, we automatically, uh, in, in today's culture, I've noticed in many countries, people tend to uh, oversimplify life. This is good. This is bad. Um, you know, how about, uh, you know, talking about Anna Karenina, um, uh, lust, right? Lust is bad. It's terrible. I, 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 that's not necessarily true. Right? The, the fact that a young man is, is going to commit to marriage and build a family. Yeah, there's probably a lust component there. It'd be terrible if there wasn't, right? If, if he felt nothing for the woman he was going to marry, he was affianced, her, his fiance, um, he felt nothing, no yearning for her. That's not a, a good thing. It'd be a terrible thing. Well, you know, I sat down and I made up an intellectual list of pros and cons, and there were more pros and cons, so I'm going to get engaged. Uh, well, like, are you drawn to her? Uh, you know, it's tough to say. I mean, uh, you know, right, bad news, right? We don't want to go there. So, I mean, obviously, you don't just say, lust, terrible thing. Uh, things can be used for good and for bad. And things have a range within them. And so, um, oh, he's gone drunk with power. Yeah, sometimes that happens very bad when that happens. But um, does a wife want to be married to a man who has no power in him at all? Uh, you know, does a woman really want to marry a man she can totally control? I don't think so. And if you're a woman feeling that way, please don't get married. Just spend a little time. Uh, trying to repair that particular little area, okay? That's what I would strongly recommend. Okay, uh, my friends, I think that's about as far as we can go. Obviously, right, you know that I've just scratched the surface of power, and obviously it's, it's something we're going to revisit again. Uh, and I'd like to hear from you too. Uh, tell me what you think. 
uh, do write to me. You know you can do that. Let me tell you again how to do it. Go to the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. There's an About Us tab, as there is on every website. You click down on that, and there's a Contact Us tab, and I'll get your letter. That's how it works. So uh, uh, if you've had experiences with power, both used on you and uh, catching yourself, uh, maybe incorrectly applying power, um, if you are a woman who has a powerful man or yearns for one, I want to hear from you as well. If you're a woman who's infuriated at what I'm saying, but nonetheless made yourself continue listen to the end, well, then I'm proud of you and I want to hear from you too. Anyway, obviously, uh, what I am beseeching and imploring is connection and communication. I've often said that the only thing about terrestrial radio that I miss uh, is the, the dial-in, the phone calls, where right now my phones would be lit up and I'd start talking to people and get their immediate reactions to this thing. And we talk and discuss. It's a little more difficult to organize on the podcast type of show, but uh, I still can invite your communication. So there at rabbidaniellappin.com can do it. At the same place, you can become an official, you can join our We Happy Warriors group and become officially part of the Happy Warriors where we, we strengthen each other, we, um, we encourage each other, we give each other a hand up when we're down. So We Happy Warriors, all of that, you start off by getting your free download of the holistic you, the Holistic You. Uh, It's a book that explains your five F's, and um, you will be able to uh, move on forward to um, advantageous circumstances that you may not have yet even imagined. And if you haven't imagined them at all, well, you've just been perhaps spending too much time in front of a screen, being entertained through your eyes, bad news, and that's why you haven't been able to imagine the possibilities. But they are there, and I regard it as a true privilege to be able to walk that journey at your side. Thanks so much for being part of the show. Again, I deeply appreciate the efforts so many of you make to spread the show and encourage others to hear it. And uh, until next week, I remain your rabbi, encouraging you to build your relationships with your faith, your family, your friendships, your finances, and your body, your fitness. Have a wonderful week. God bless.